0: that that product was from a piece of cardboard idea in my head to some scrap metal from a metal shop to then making it myself and the first 75 I made for a little pre-launch I made them all myself by hand and uh, launched it out did all the marketing myself put together the video content I was really tired Um, I mean I was I was uh, like I'm like thinking about right now I'm like getting emotional and like I I was so close to giving up.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Anvil Podcast. This is episode number two with Samuel McVeigh, founder of Barbecue Hack. In this episode, we talk about Samuel starting a restoration and pest control company in a town of 13,000 people, financing small businesses at 22 years old, and turning a cardboard prototype into a product that will sell 4,000 plus units this quarter. We also talk about Samuel's definition of entrepreneurship and what he would tell the same kid that he was 10 years ago, sitting in a high school classroom about what he can become. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome uh, back. Second week, second episode today on the Anvil podcast. Uh, Very excited. Local guy, uh, El Dorado guy, El Dorado, Kansas today, Um, you know, Samuel, it'll be fun for us. I think within a month, we went from a text message to a lunch to a couple conversations to now sitting here doing a podcast. So um, I'm excited to kind of keep progressing and having a, more conversations. But uh, for everybody listening, my guest tonight is Samuel McVeigh, founder of, uh, I guess we'll go with Barbecue Hack and, and uh, we'll probably get into everything else that that, that entails. Uh, from El Dorado Kansas but more than anything Sam, I just want to thank you for coming on and spend some time with me
0: for sure happy to be
1: here let's I, I'm gonna jump right into it so I follow you on social media it sounds like or seems like you are quarantined or, or, or are we uh, <laughs> yeah exposed to some COVID or what's the COVID situation
0: yes sir I tested positive a week ago today Okay. Um, yeah, so the symptoms have uh, definitely gotten a lot better, uh, not worse, thankfully. Um, nothing more than tight chest cough and low fever, but definitely fatigued regularly. But yeah, today and yesterday are kind of like first few days, I feel like I'm getting back in the swing of things and getting some energy back. Well, so, you yeah, look- it's a freaking pandemic in my house. Wife got it too. Kids are all stuck here seven days straight in this house. Has not been fun.
1: Yeah, well, to be honest, <laughs> and running businesses, all that. But um, you look good, you sound good. And you were willing to come hop on a podcast while you're, you know, seven days in. It. So um, thank you for doing that. But, you know, uh, and, and in that intro, I kind of talked about barbecue hack and talk about, you know, some of of, of maybe the other things that you've delved into at present. For me, the coolest place that I always like to start is like, you know, I know El Dorado, Kansas, and people in the area will know El Dorado, Kansas, but for anybody else listening, kind of take us back to the start, kind of tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, and kind of where you're from.
0: Yep, for sure. I was actually born born in Illinois, uh, came over to El Dorado, I think when I was like two years old. My mom grew up here. Her dad was the counselor at the high school in El Dorado, Kansas for years, so I spent most of my life here at like 12 or actually I guess it would be like eight years old. I moved to Derby. I was in Derby till I was 12 years old and then came back to El Dorado middle school on sixth grade through to now. Um, so have been in El Dorado most of my life. Uh, homeschooled in and out of some private schools, uh, homeschool co-op hybrid of public school. I did pretty much every version of school you could do K through 12, and it changed about every other year. So I had a pretty abstract education experience, went to college for one year at Butler Community College in El Dorado, Kansas, took all the prereqs for the nursing program, but then I found out I am definitely afraid of needles. So that was was a really bad idea. Uh, needles are really involved as a nurse Uh, but to be completely honest the only reason I was pursuing my RN is because I just wanted to marry my high school sweetheart and her dad said no a couple times and then he said you have to make $40,000 a year and have benefits and you can marry my daughter and I'm like okay what's the fastest way I can make $40,000 a year and have benefits and I was like nursing we have a great nursing program in El Dorado Kansas Butler Community College and ironically, my wife is now a BSNRN. Uh, fast forward into the future, and I am not. Um, so, dropped out of Butler Community College, got a gig at Interstate Batteries in Tawanda, Kansas, uh, Interstate Battery Systems. It's uh, Their territory was most of central Kansas, and uh, started out in the warehouse making 10 bucks an hour told my boss, hey, I I, got to make more money. Uh, I want to get married. And he said, (laughs) okay, well, don't leave. I had an opportunity to go do some marketing at a car dealership or something like that. Um, It wasn't anything really much higher than $10 an hour with my experience at the time. Uh, So got me on the road. Then I was selling and slinging batteries out of a semi-truck, got my CDL. And he said, you'll make $60,000 a year and have benefits. And I'm like, that's what I need. Uh went and asked uh, my father-in-law now uh, to marry her and he said yes that time. And uh, so yeah, fast forward, I got married at 21. She was 19 years old. Uh, We've been together for 12 years. Our 10-year wedding anniversary is in June uh, of 2021, which is bizarre. Uh, <laughs> yeah, bizarre to think about. Um, so yeah, uh, that got me, that gets me up to my only real job I ever had, to be completely honest, I was there for four years and uh, was bored out of my mind. Money was great, um, but I, I just wanted to do something challenging, and I knew I hit my cap. The boss's son was in the organization, and I couldn't go any higher It was a family business, but they let me know every aspect of the business from I got to see financials, uh, understand operations. I literally would just do whatever I wanted when I had an idea. And I was I was a big believer in ask for forgiveness, not permission, and uh, mostly worked out there for me and learned a lot, had the privilege of just being able to think outside of the box and wanted to do it myself. And my boss was uh, barely finished high school, built a $5 million company, and I'm um, like, well, he did it, and he, he, uh, he thinks anyone can do it if they just really want to do it. So fast forward, uh, started meeting with my brothers and my dad, actually praying weekly. My dad's a pastor. and said, I want to start a family business. And he's like, all right, let's start talking about it. And a guy at our church was selling a carpet van. And we're like, okay, we'll buy that carpet van. And he had like two Pizza Hut accounts. And we're like, oh man, we get like three hundred bucks every time we clean a pizza hut every three months. Like what could go wrong? Here's twenty thousand uh, dollars. No idea what we're doing. We ruined a lot of carpet the first like three months. it was it was really messy, and it should have been clean, pun intended. Uh, yeah, fast forward into it. We finally figure out what we're doing. We start diversifying, and we start selling cleaning contracts. And this is all again in Aldredo, Kansas, uh, running out of my garage. Did that for a year. It started to grow and uh, was going to have my first kid. And I walked away from uh, interstate batteries. Uh, I gave them nine months notice and handpicked my replacement because my boss turned into like another grandpa to me. Still love him to death. Still talk to him regularly. Um, So left there two weeks after I go from making $60,000 a year, I cut my salary down to $20,000 a year. Um, is all I was gonna pay myself uh, to make the thing go. And my wife was in nursing school, had my first daughter, premature six weeks. And this is all within, I think 15 days of leaving my job. And so I would watch her baby and she couldn't even like drink out of a bottle in the mornings while my wife was in school, trying to figure out how to do QuickBooks. And then she'd get home and I'd leave and I'd go clean janitorial uh, accounts that I had been selling uh, during that year. So we kind of diversified into commercial cleaning accounts. Uh, and then we were still doing the carpet cleaning and it, it continued to kind of diversify, figured out what we were doing wrong. It took a lot of contracts that we lost a lot of money. Cause I didn't read the fine print ever. I'm just like, yeah, I'll sign. Yeah. Oh, you're going to pay me like an annual contract to clean your business. Sure. Here we go. Where do I sign? Uh, fast forward, we, uh, got to a point where we just grew too fast and we had 40 some employees, uh, three years later, it was it was uh, way too fast and our bank knew it was too fast. And so our bank was like, hey, uh, we need three years of actual year-end tax returns and you only have two and you keep coming to us to get loan money on contracts, cleaning contracts. So we get a certain amount of money for equipment each time I run a contract. So I was just slinging, selling contracts left and right and uh, was booking a really high percentage of them. Um, which was we were really fortunate still don't fully understand how all that happened with, with pretty much no experience or resume uh, uh, we did you know wasn't like a second generation company or something or I had some partner that has a reputation in the industry uh, we just would walk in and smile and say we we want to work for you really bad um, so they cut me off and said "We need we need another tax return and so fast forward I was like I have nothing to do. That's my job. It was uh, selling contracts and growing the company. And I wasn't allowed to grow the company for four months. So my hands are tied. I'm getting restless. I'm like, let's diversify. Let's get creative. Got into the appliance industry, um, met up with a guy, Charlie Green, who's in the service industry in Eldorado. He's been around here for 40 years. He has every garage code to Eldorado, every uh, garage code in Eldorado. He's that trusted one man operation service company, another little retail store was like kind of trying to sell out or honestly was probably going to shut down. Uh, and they sold appliances and I'll skip the long story, but basically somehow worked out a deal where I didn't have to include a bank, acquired uh two-thirds of the service company and all of the retail company, merged them together. And that turned into Charlie's appliance. Uh really found the the scariest thing I've ever done to date by far. Um, that was a lot of inventory uh six figures of inventory pretty quickly that i had to figure out how to sell inside 12 months and there was just it was it was a it was a big risk definitely still the riskiest thing i've done uh all things considered in the town of 12,000 people trying to compete against Lowe's, home depot <laughs> sears uh you know menards that are all just 20 minutes away uh so found our position in the market uh it did did do well and we've been uh so really happy with it today continues to grow uh diversified into pest control just realized there was nobody in aldereta that did it and it just made sense We're like no one does it here they all come from wichita so let's start one here poached a 20-year guy out of wichita from a company brought him on as a partner with me and my brother and uh just provided everything he needed did all the built the website the right way you know branded it the right way uh just put together a good CRM for him. Basically all the stuff he didn't want to think about. He just wanted to go spray for bugs and we built the business and provided the infrastructure and support. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome family business. People don't even know we're involved. His son works there. His brother works there. His daughter works there. So it's, it's grown a little bit. Um, been a, been a really fun uh, company to build around a guy that's just Dave Shaw, awesome individual at Shaw's pest control. And, uh, Fast forward from there, uh, I'm selling pellet grills at our pine store and I get obsessed with pellet grills and now we're about to stumble into Barbecue Hack. Um, Me and my buddy, Brian Boswell, co-founder of Barbecue Hack, uh, just couldn't get enough of them. Realized a problem pretty quickly that bothered us in Kansas winters is that they don't get hot fast, they take a long time to preheat and there's just other diverse, like we wanted some diversity in our cooking. Um, And so we, came up with a concept where you could insert a flat top griddle insert and it converts a pellet grill into a flat top cooking surface. And you can run the grill with the lid open with no error code, that's another problem. If you know pellet grills, you know what an LER code is. Uh, When the temp drops too far, the grill shuts down. And so we basically, with the way it moves the air around in the grill, it tricks the RTD probe inside your pellet grill. Uh, To your controller to keep it running, and people just—the hardest part about that product was people just didn't believe it would work. Uh And uh, so we we really did, and we had some really crappy prototypes we had made at a metal shop in El Dorado, and it kind of worked. It wasn't like foolproof uh, at that point, but we knew some with some modifications and a lot of focus we could make it happen. Um, So I knew I needed more money than I've needed for anything else. And uh, I was ready to bet it all on the house. You know, I was ready to bet the farm on it and was pursuing a large line of credit. And at that point, I've never had an investor involved in any uh, venture I've done. And uh, fast forward, uh, met a Mr. Wonderful, uh, Mr. Wonderful fella said, I'll give you unlimited debt. All the debt you want, I'll give it to you for a third of the company. And I was amazed by that. I was like, it's so hard to get debt. You know, as a young entrepreneur with no assets, I've never had an asset. I still don't have enough equity in my house to even like have any leverage there. Um, At that point, I'd only been a homeowner for probably three years. Uh, So I was amazed by the offer, but I'm like, I got to keep searching this out. And uh, the rate was 7%, by the way, unlimited debt. Just go for it. Uh, Oh, and in five years, I had to pay it all off. Uh, and buy out his equity was the concept and so he'd done it two times before and I know of the companies and they are very successful and it's just evidence to me that's a really good example of we always under <laughs> like you never have enough capital when you start it's one of the biggest issues with startups I feel like is you just never predict enough uh starting out to give it a fair chance um so I felt like I kind of knew that number I uh reached out made a connection to Jeff Turner and. Uh, reached out to him and just said, hey, this is what I'm pursuing. Do you have any thoughts or any helpful tips? I just kind of met him about a month before that. And uh, for whatever reason, we kind of hit it off. And uh, he owns some houses at Eureka Lake and drives through El Dorado all the time and stopped by my store one time to say hi, because he's nice. And uh, so I tell him everything. And he says, Samuel. And he just pulls my little paper away and says, this is, you don't need any debt. He's like, this is way too risky. You need an investor. And this is what you should have said. And so my first investor ever turns my paper upside down and writes out exactly how I should have pitched him and then makes me an offer on the spot um, to start Barbecue Deck, which is uh, probably will still be my favorite story of all time, no matter how old I am, still, still, still my favorite moment ever in my entrepreneurial journey um just a special moment i literally got emotional and like had tears when i went out to my car just some confusion and i'm like, feeling a lot of things and it just it just summed up a lot of stuff i've been working for that i didn't even know i was working for somebody trusted me enough uh, i didn't have a product i didn't have a sale at that point um, but someone believed in me and my integrity to steward their investment um, so fast forward, a lot of, lot of mistakes for really it felt like two years straight. This is back in 18 um, when uh, we really kicked it off. I think it was like May or June of 18 and uh, got a distributor, got a grill manufacturer on board to distribute our product. Uh, That did not go well because we also asked them to do all our manufacturing and uh, just crazy shambles. I mean, it was uh, just made a lot of mistakes, to be honest, uh, that I look back on now and I'm like, wow, I don't even, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know enough to know um, that those were all pretty big mistakes. But uh, as time went on, altered some stuff, figured out this whole B2C concept and e-commerce and Found some success on Amazon, and then all of a sudden that spun off into an Amazon company we created called uh, Reliant Distribution. We represent some different brands and uh, sell books on Amazon, just like Amazon's Genesis. Uh, and that's kind of the last entity that I have um, that also represents Barbecue Rack on Amazon's platform and uh, has a staff of about seven or eight people now, and uh, just focus on distribution solely on amazon um but yeah there's a lot more details in the barbecue acting but that brings me to date of uh, my entrepreneurial journey is those are my five entities the only other one i don't bring up is our property uh, our holdings company that we we buy our property where the businesses are at is under where i'm actually technically employed mcveigh solutions um has some key employees that cross over to all the companies since i i have a vested interest in my brother's vested interest uh, interest in all the companies. Um, so kind of complicated there, but that's the entity we bought our property with so we could pay rent back to ourselves instead of just paying rent to someone else. And yeah. that all happened this year, which was awesome. I, I love not paying rent anymore. Um, and that's not totally truthful. We still have a building we pay rent. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> three others we don't now, which is nice.
1: Yeah, no, so I mean, yeah, no, so you touch a lot of things, and, and um, you know, down, going down a road that I will definitely get to, you know, as you talk through that to me, it's, it's very evident that you're a guy who's like not afraid to tinker with things. Or, um, I think in the true essence of like an entrepreneur, you kind of, you know, as you're talking, it's like, oh, he looks at things and tries to figure out a way to change it or find a way to put his spin on it. I'm curious, like, wh- what do you attribute that nature to or that trigger to? Is that something you found? Were you born with it? Were you exposed to it? Why are, Why do you look at things in that light? Exposed is
0: a bad word these days. You, you're exposed and you're like pandemic virus. So I was exposed <laughs> to COVID and I became an entrepreneur. Which you have been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that was a great question. Um, I So... Uh, s- academics i loved learning growing up but man i hated academics um and it was a weird deal where i always felt like i was behind and i literally was uh, for a lot of my schooling uh, i remember first time leaving homeschooling and going to a private middle school and i was like in detention because of grades and i was like trying i just literally with with inside that structure that current academic structure i did not excel um, I really didn't, but I was fascinated by everything. I'd look at something and I'd tell my mom, she still quotes me on this. Uh, I was looking at the dash in our van, our 15 passenger van. I'm the oldest kid of nine. Um, and I think that plays into this also. Uh, but I'm looking at the dash of our van. I'm like, it would take me my whole life to figure out how to make this dashboard. <laughs> I just, I just get perplexed by certain things and what goes into something existing uh, just always blew my mind and then also the other part of that is that i was always fascinated by people and what fired them up and what people were wired by you know like what really excited people and finding their passions in life um i i thought i was going to be a pastor my whole life till i was 21. i really had no interest in business and at 21 is when i decided i wasn't going to follow my dad's footsteps and be a pastor and uh but it's still like it really translated i was i preached my first sermon when i was 12 and my obsession whenever i had any bible study church meeting or leadership meeting was like i would just dig into individuals and in group settings of like what really makes you happy what drives you and excites you and so i think it's like this weird combination of i'm excited about solving problems understanding how things work and how that can excite people. And I feel like I have an intuition that, or just an ability to enjoy the process of intuition of understanding what people want, like, need, value. And those two working together has really turned into now the consumer good business that now I've been able to start creating some of these products that, that have excited people and then they sell, and then create a business service solution that excites people, and then it sells, and strategically valuing those people in the organization at the same time and executing opportunities for them. So we were just talking about this the other day, and I might be going off on a tangent here with my brother, like what is our focus for this year? And our focus for this year has been number one, understanding what our employees, staff, partners need, uh, are they feeling valued Are are they feeling equipped to really do what they're supposed to do and what we're paying them to do and then number two is create opportunities And the best way to create opportunities for your employees is to grow revenue like you have to you can't especially for a startup and it's one of the most complicated things that I still have not fully figured out but I will say I was asked uh, on an interview two days ago um, uh, with a buy group for our appliance store what what's your, what are you most thankful for this year through the COVID experience being a business owner? I said, my people, I'm just so thankful for my people that have been here since the beginning and are now I'm finally able to make them feel valued. And and we did try to do that as early as possible, but it's so easy to get focused on number two the whole time and a little too long. all you're thinking about is growing revenue because it creates opportunity for your people and then but you don't spend enough time on what do they need day to day do they feel valued are they compensated accordingly or enough um so those those fine details of taking care of your people uh is it just it gets out of balance and out of whack um but all of that fascinates me i'm not passionate about the barbecue industry i'm really i mean in all honesty i'm not passionate about a dis- our distribution company, or our appliance store, pest control, or cleaning restoration company. Um, I'm I'm just really passionate about the whole process and the bigger picture of how human beings and transactions all work together. And I just think that's a it's a beautiful thing, and it changes lives and creates opportunity that uh, you can't even really fully understand. You know, when we have a record day of selling stuff, and I hand a bonus to a staff member who's definitely been underpaid who's overqualified you know that whole process it's just it's a it's spiritual it's emotional and there's a physical evidence of a job well done um just yeah it's an experience i'm addicted to now
1: you uh that's a fantastic answer and I, well, as you're walking through that that's a fantastic question and i'm as you said the question they asked you i'm like dang they they took a really good question to ask um and, and I guess, so my follow up on that, and I want to dive deeper into the, the barbecue hack story mm-hmm. specifically, um, you know, we can go down a lot of rabbit holes for yeah. one of your companies. And I think each one has probably led to some lessons that you've taken as you've applied. Um, walk me through, so in a, you you mentioned direct to consumer and you've kind of figured out that's your niche and all of these kind of magic, magic buttons that you've been able to kind of sew together. Walk me through, so, so kind of to follow up on that question, what have you learned the most about being an entrepreneur during a COVID environment? What have you learned about consumer product businesses in a COVID-like environment where we're just seeing people, uh, at least in my eyes, you know, blow up that, that maybe nine months ago, somebody didn't even really know about what's your experience been or, or how would you uh, kind of reflect on those nine months?
0: man uh very fortunate that i'm in the outdoor cooking industry that's number one i mean that that (laughs) it directly correlated with people not being able to go get their favorite steaks at their restaurants. And then like, Oh, I've got to learn how to make a good steak now because I'm stuck (laughs) at home because of COVID. And then they buy my griddle.
1: Uh, So there's, you you should have sold dumbbells with your uh, BB. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That was huge, man. There were people on fire about that. Just
0: ticked (laughs) off. People selling used dumbbells, like they're pieces of gold. Yeah, It was crazy. Um, So yeah, there's that um uh, overall uh my big takeaway is that it was fun to watch people pivot and you could really tell who had energy to pivot because you don't just pivot and then bar- barbecue hack it was awesome but we also had to put in a crazy amount of energy and pivot hard when this hit um so yes we rode the wave but it took energy and the strategy to ride the wave correctly and and so for example ad spin became everything we started just unloading and we just we opened the bank account and just dumped money into social platforms advertising because guess where everyone's at on their couch and especially those that aren't working they're they're all on social media i mean record signups record activity um and then obviously e-commerce had records but from that perspective you just start thinking about the social activity uh, uh digital social activity that happened and just blew up uh and then we started diversifying we went from just nothing but Facebook Instagram strategy strategies on Pinterest running different ad strategies on TikTok which is it's still fairly new and not a great platform I've got a TikTok rep I meet with now every two three weeks same with Pinterest you know same with Google same with Facebook but you don't get that access till you spend enough money and that's where I that's Honestly, where we pivoted and learned a lot and should have been doing it the whole time, Uh, but it's scary It's scary to unload thousands of dollars a month on ad spend and really trust that the ROI is there. And then more importantly, trusting that you set it up correctly to track that ROI. Um, Might've gone on a rabbit hole there uh, from your original question, but uh, I, I would say that'd be my biggest takeaway specifically for the B2C was you there was a wave for all to ride um but you did have to put some energy and pivot and i and thankfully, i think we did a good job of pivoting during it
1: yep no well uh i have visited the barbecue hack site uh multiple times and the the uh the effect of that is I get pinged by all of that ad spend very frequently now. So I don't own a pellet grill. I wish I did because I've sure. seen a juicy cheeseburger enough times. I'm like, Ooh, I could definitely use one of those. I just don't own a pellet grill. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're out, your, your stuff's getting to the right people, man. Um, uh, cause yeah. I'd be converted if I owned the, the
0: pellet. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. We follow you everywhere. And when yeah. I say we Google and Facebook and all of them,
1: Hey, they you know everything. Yeah. Their, their jobs to keep people in the app. So they, they feed us what we like to see. So, um, but no, I, so I want to go back to like, you you talk about a couple things and, and you know, I, I feel like I could open Pandora's box and just ask a million questions, even just as a guy curious about entrepreneurship myself, but um, I'm curious when you talk about um, good to be clean and, and buying a carpet cleaning company um I think so often, especially our generation, you know, you and I are about the same age and, and the way we grew up was hearing about the Facebooks and the YouTubes of the world and they borrowed X amount of money in their, uh, this seed round and they sold for, you know, X number of millions of dollars and so did all yeah. these other companies. And it just seemed like it was this super easy thing to do. Um, but you talked about literally getting lines of credit from a financial institution at, yep. you know, 24-ish, 21-ish years old, how, however old, you know, that first yep. go around was. Talk to me about, like, one, not only the risk of kind of taking that on, but two, the process when people don't realize, you know, people see the the investor money so frequently. Talk to me about your process from the financial side with the the banks
0: yep well i mean the obvious uh the obvious thing is when you borrow you keep equity um but you affect the bottom line with interest right so it's it's lesser two evils depending on depending on the entity i mean a local local business service company that doesn't have scalability is not going to attract an investor first of all so to get into the carpet cleaning business unless i have this innovative concept that's going to change carpet cleaning across the country, Um, I'm not gonna be able to raise funding, most likely, Uh, so it never really felt like an option. Um, The difference, I'm really thankful for where we started because we've earned a reputation to know how to manage money. So we started with a carpet cleaning van and I got a loan and I paid that loan off and I ran a profitable service entity with a healthy line of credit, right? And then I did that again and again. So we've done that three times with a really hyper local focus entities. And, and I, it just, it, it makes borrowing for anything easier. It, it made my conversation with Jeff Turner to Barbecue Act so much easier. To understand you already have entities that are profitable you understand how hard it is to show a profit Um, and it's not really sexy to your point it's not really sexy to get into a carpet cleaning business um, as you know barbecue hack feels and looks so much cooler from the outside Um, but at the same time profit is profit and there's a lot of ways to achieve a profit and there's there's a lot of ways to make a really uh, good living in the service industry that is well overlooked and creates opportunities for young people. In my opinion, if, if you're willing to put in the work and and have some tech savviness, you can build an amazing plumbing company. To be honest, you know you get a couple of masters uh, plumbers on your on your team as partners potentially, and come up with uh, some creative CRM, creative customer service options slogans just just do it right do right by your people do right by your customers and you're just going to grow and then there's this really cool thing called margin that just compounds on itself (laughs) and so you have one plumber performing and here's his margin then you get two plumbers and three plumbers and four plumbers and if you have an equity piece in that entity there's a thing called dividends that start to happen and uh, it took me eight years, I feel like, to really understand what that could mean for me personally. And it's, uh, yeah, this is getting really detailed, but it really, it really affects you in a positive way. and gives you that hope of, like, this is why a local service, uh, region-based company is still just as exciting, because you, you still have this thing called profit. I mean, every entity exists for uh, profit, if it's a for-profit Um But yeah, leveraging yourself for a line of credit, the first one we ever did for an example, um, I made a commitment to keep my job. So I said, I will keep my job for this first year. I said, I'm not planning on leaving my job. And I had a good paying job. I said, my brother, my partner, we were 50-50. I said, he's going to keep his job too. And then we hired an employee to go out and clean carpet and manage the company from afar while we kept our job. So a lot of people I know are, feel like they got to jump all the way in. I worked a ton of evenings and was selling accounts after work, during work sometimes, uh, you know, doing all the accounting in the evening. Um, but we, we made the decision to go a year straight uh, doing both things and building it so then it could handle us in a healthy way. We maintained all the equity that way. We kept our debt at a healthy level. Um, so there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and especially with the local service, it's at this point now, I've done it enough times that to start a company, to go get a line of credit, the whole process is so automated in my head, I'm doing it again, literally today I was working on it. I've put in so many line of credit proposals and now fast forward, my first company that actually has an investor barbecue act, uh, got a very large line of credit comparatively from my experience, uh, to leverage all partners, investor included, to keep our equity piece so we could scale the business up because demand was going up and we had to make large commitments for our outsourced manufactured products. And that's a lot to juggle. Um, And it's a really good problem to have, but that's the beauty of a line of credit. And the best time to get that line of credit, this is probably the best advice I've given most startup small companies. Um, Maybe they're not looking to just scale like crazy fast. Get the line of credit as soon as you can and build it. And the goal is to never use it, but you can't build it if you're using it. If you're using it regularly and it's getting maxed out all the time, they don't like to raise that ceiling. But if you rarely use it and you got cash in the account, they'll just keep raising it. The ceiling goes up. And I'll tell you what, If we that's my biggest regret with good to Be Clean uh, in that first three years is I didn't do that. I did not keep pushing up my ceiling when things weren't tight. Then when things got tight and I want to push my ceiling, they want to do it
1: room you're um, like it's it's like a guy who pays his credit card off every month they're like yeah man uh you've been pre-approved for a hundred thousand dollars last month it was five thousand what do you mean i just got pre-approved they exactly not, they like people that pay their money off
0: yeah yeah and yeah and they like people that that have money
1: in the yeah. account
0: and know, know that you're you're good for it um and then yeah there's some really bad ways to use line of credit i mean there's there's, there's, If you buy an asset with a line of credit, you're just shooting yourself in the foot um, if you're not doing terms. So just some of those basic principles that I have had guys with business degrees work for me. I've, I've met with MBAs that just literally that fundamental principle of how to manage debt correctly and leverage debt for profit. It's such a skill set that so many people. Uh, yeah, I'm just really thankful that I've, I've done that for eight years now and um, have found a way to make money on interest.
1: So, so to your point earlier, it sounds like so you were, you know, closing a new cleaning contract, you know, that margin, you know, what, what, whatever the margin percentage is, the numbers are getting bigger. And then were you just taking the profit and and re-putting it back into the business and buying more trucks and paying more guys? Like were you guys just circling it all back and pumping it back in?
0: Until. Uh, the June 2021 um did I just lose you I just got an alert on my computer my connection week
1: oh did I lose you
0: can you hear me hello you got me <laughs> I can hear you yeah are we good oh okay good yeah sorry I got like this thing popped up on my screen uh no that's a good question we put everything back into the company. One of my mentors that built a really successful insurance company, he said, uh, he's like, feed the golden goose that la- or feed the goose that lays the golden eggs was his famous line. He's like, you don't take a dime out of that company till you can tell that company just keeps producing cash and higher and higher profits. But always invest that money back into the company when you know if I put a thousand dollars into this, that thousand, that ROI looks like it keeps doubling or Whatever the ROI is. So instead of putting money into the market, I, we put everything back into the company uh, every chance we could because we started with debt. So when you start to finally get into a good cash position, you're able to get back to zero. That makes <laughs> that Like, you know what I mean? You're, I, you start negative. When you start a company on debt, you're negative. So, so that cash is circling back in and really you're not getting as far ahead as you think.
1: You're, you're just like ground uh, level.
0: Exactly, you're just coming back to like, oh hey, we're we're in the clear. and uh, and don't get me wrong. we did it wrong. we We made some really bad debt decisions for good to be clean that that all got cleared up about two years ago. Uh, so we had multiple bad debt purchase decisions about uh, equipment at too high of a price, at too long of a terms to where it depreciated out, halfway through the terms. That was a big, I, I did that on a lot of equipment during those janitorial accounts and it put us, it made our financials look really unhealthy. And so we realized real quick, oh my gosh, when we buy equipment, we can't go past three year terms because it just depreciates out so fast. And it's like our equipment, we buy similar to restaurant equipment. It's just worth, I mean, it's like worse than a new car driving it off a lot. It just, it loses that so fast. And uh, so yeah, that was, that was was that was one of the big mistakes I made with that company when we were, up janitorial contracts. And then also, the other mistake was not understanding the cost of turnover, which made those contracts not profitable like we thought they would be. Uh, a lot of contracts we had to walk away from because we just couldn't keep them staffed, not enough margin to pay them well enough, didn't understand what our turnover would look like in that industry, and uh, which then puts you in a bad debt position because you're already leveraging, using interest and debt to fund that contract. And then you're having high turnover. Yeah. And so the interest and the turnover, pretty much were putting you back at zero on a lot of our large, large commercial accounts.
1: I'll tell you from my experience, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but when you do start, you know, in the red, and you start in debt, and then you do get back to zero, you're not afraid to go back to where you started, because it feels like you could climb back out. So I think the good thing about it is it shows you the tenacity to climb out of the hole just to be able to see it level ground. And it's like, oh, if I could do that once, I could probably do it again. So <laughs> yeah, I think it sure. teaches you to be a little more risk, uh, risk-taking. Averse, yeah. Yeah, in the sense yeah. that, you know, you, you've done it once and now you, you kind of know what you're doing. I think you're a little more comfortable finding some more inventory in my case or, you know, going back. Sure.
0: Back. Yeah, for um, sure.
1: So. um so I want to transition to barbecue hack. Um, I think I feel like we keep trying to do that, yeah. and then I like <laughs> I no jump well, off the reservation. So and here we'll we'll make it we'll make it a, a smooth transition. Um, so you you have good to be clean. You you know and and what I can hear in your talking is that one you're you're super intelligent guy to be able to piece these things together, but you're piecing them together through experience and through exposure and through being in the trenches. So walk me through all the things you learned at Good to Be Clean and Shaw's and all these other businesses that when you went to Jeff Turner, who you mentioned earlier, and you changed how you were going to finance your next business, walk me through kind of the things from an entrepreneurship standpoint you learned. In those other four companies to get you to barbecue hack and to kind of get you where you're at now
0: um i'd say the the first thing was really understanding what foundation you have to lay uh, to have a, a legitimate entity um just some of the basic concepts of what what insurance looks like workman's comp i mean like the really boring stuff was the best thing i took from all those entities uh yeah just understanding basic uh, marketing principles, I've been doing marketing for all the companies already, um, and all of them were so different that I was able to come into the B2C e-commerce world with a completely different perspective, which I think gave me an advantage on the marketing side, because I it, it was a lot harder to market local service companies than it is to market a innovative product online, is uh, the short answer there. And so I felt like I was I was not seeing results. Like I felt like my marketing and content deserved with my other companies. And then when I applied that same skill set to Barbecue Hack, it was night and day. But the audience was much different. Uh, you're it's an exciting product. I'm advertising to the entire world, not just to a 30 mile radius. Uh, about. Oh, service that no one can get excited about uh, so that that was a big deal um, it, was, it was really exciting to get a chance to really push myself to yeah and and really just more importantly it just validated a lot of work I put into marketing that I didn't see I didn't feel like I saw good results and then when I just took that same those same fundamental principles and applied it to barbecue I saw a ton of results uh, the boring stuff like understanding just basic insurance concepts Um, uh, inventory concepts, uh, buying, purchasing. I've been doing buying and purchasing for our appliance store, uh, forecasting, uh, managing, HR. I did all of our bookkeeping and financing for years for Good To Be Clean, so I'm very comfortable with numbers and in QuickBooks. uh, Still uh, am very in touch with our finances and numbers with every entity and uh so i really had a chance to dabble in every aspect and you have to you literally have to be my favorite podcast in the world by the way uh and you're gonna be the next one so you'll (laughs) you'll probably be you'll you'll be my new number one you have a best
1: interest now yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: but my number one prior to this was masters of scale by reed hoffman and uh, i just i just love reed hoffman Uh, i've i've never heard anything from him that i didn't just feel like that was a part of just gold his information's just been gold and uh he's one line he says a lot is that you have to be incredibly talented in every aspect of a business to be like the most successful entrepreneurs especially the ones that aren't like crazy high iq that can just create some new technology which is not me i'm very average but what i was able to uh develop over time is I got pretty comfortable and average at every aspect of the company. I I didn't develop uh, just one signature part of the company that I was just really good at. Um, I got comfortable in management stuff. I I got comfortable with hiring and letting people go. I got comfortable with numbers and running payroll and uh, reconciling uh, all that boring stuff, meeting with our insurance agent, understanding our safety program, uh, understanding purchasing and buying an inventory right? There's, there's so many aspects. And then on top of all that, I got really, really comfortable and really liked marketing because I definitely wired more as a CEO, CMO, and I like growth and I like spending my time focused on growth strategies. And uh, so I think all those things together um, is what I took into Barbecue Hack that also made it successful and is what Jeff was betting on. Jeff was betting on this guy obviously understands just the basics, the basic foundations of a business and all business is relatively the same thing and and has the same foundations and we all just sell something different at the end of the day. And so I just went and sold something different and the audience was a lot bigger, which was really fun. Uh.
1: So, and... and- that's a fantastic answer, you know, in and, and, and hearing your progression. And it, there's so many things that pop through my head. One, that's the classic investor line, right, is I didn't invest in the business, I invested in the guy who's running the business, um, for all of the things that you just mentioned. And I'm curious so so that gives you the foundation to go to the next level to take to, to basically level up I guess not that you weren't successful in previous roles but to to start in a different realm um, and and it
0: was a le- I think it's fair to say it was definitely a level up it's a completely to take something from nothing as far as a product I'd never done that I did you know what I mean like something that didn't exist to a transaction. Yeah. That, that was definitely new territory and, and huge for me, uh, for my personal growth as an
1: entrepreneur. So, so, you know, you walk through all that and kind of setting the foundation, but from March 2018, which really doesn't sound like that long ago until, you know, we're sitting here almost in 2021. So you have really had two and a half full years of running this deal. What, what's been the biggest challenge uh, in that two and a half years? And what are you most proud of achieving in the last two and a half years?
0: I, the first thing that comes to mind when you say, uh, I'll, I'll go straight to, well, I'll do the hardest thing first. The, the hardest thing was uh, doing a lot of it by myself. Um, I, I, it was probably one of the most lonely ventures I've had because my co-founder still had a full-time job. And uh, he still played a huge part, um, but they was just always longing and wanting him to come on board with me. And he had an, an incredible job, made it did very well in his other uh, in his other job. And the most the thing I'm the most proud of is this. He is way more passionate about barbecue than I am. I mean, he just lives, breathes. He's a self-made chef, inventor engineer brain like the dude is very talented and loves process and 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 barbecue i mean it just like he he's what i want to build the whole thing around and it took a lot longer than i thought to get him uh, on board but three months ago my co-founder came on board and cut his pay in half and uh, that is what i'm most proud of about our story to be completely honest is that uh, my very close friend one of my best friends uh, was able to come on board full time and support his family. He's got his fourth kid on the way. Uh, he took a huge risk and trusting me that it was the right time. We made him an offer uh, to come on board. And uh, that, I don't know, it's just everything's built around people, right? I don't care how good the product is. I mean, it's, it's every day you got to grind and you want the right people with you grinding every day. And uh, having Brian uh, Boswell come on board was just huge for me, it took a huge weight off. Uh, and I will say like in the, the, the hardest, the darkest of days for Barbecue Yak was leaving my house at 5 a.m., going to our metal shop that I purchased, not knowing how to run any press breaks. I learned how to run press breaks. That's how I invented the spatula hack, uh, which is our highest unit moving product right now, um, which we didn't. I had the idea a year ago in December, and I sold our first spatula, I believe, in April or May of this year. So it took took a long time to really iron out the details, and especially because we had to make a handle. And so I ordered a CNC router in, learned how to program a CNC router. And I, I like dabbling in everything, but I got into a world of fabrication that was brutal. I mean, I was grinding spatulas, hundreds of spatulas by hand, bought this huge belt sander to edge these spatulas. Uh, we just equipped ourselves to start making this product that I really knew was going to be kind of our next pivot and uh, get us a, a whole lot of followers. And our followers exploded when we launched that product. Um, and again, it's it's been our highest unit. Um, that, that product was from a piece of cardboard idea in my head to some scrap metal from a metal shop to then making it myself. And the first 75 I made for a little pre-launch, I made them all myself by hand and uh, launched it out, did all the marketing myself, put together the video content, I was really tired. Um, I mean, I was, I was like, I, I'm like thinking about right now I'm like getting emotional and like feel I want to, I was so close to giving up. Um, and I, I, just like, I knew, I knew that was like the next phase and we needed a price point product like that. Our, our signature product was at such a high price point. It, it just didn't do quite enough volume. It's a $150 griddle. So, it, you know, that per- purchase behavior is really different. Uh, but to have a $49 product that, Looks different than every other competitor, and to sell a spatula for fifty bucks was a huge accomplishment. And that's an expensive spatula, and it just keeps. I mean, we, yeah, it's it's been been awesome. We we sold thousands of them and uh, started selling them in, uh, yeah, April or May of this year. So super thankful for that. That kind of spun us off, but I was literally driving home, and I was coming from out of town, and I was just mad. I was just like, I'm tired. I don't have anything left. I was looking at my time and it was like 70, 80 hour weeks and literally blisters. I should have lost fingers to be completely honest. I am not qualified to run press breaks and doing everything I was doing, but I just knew it had to be done. And um, my wife was like, you've just, and I was mad because I knew Brian's number was a lot higher than what we could afford. And my wife was like, you have to make him an offer. Then you can move on and you're going to put an ad out. And you're going to hire a machinist. You're going to hire a guy to come in and run this machine shop. Um, Because, yeah, just imagine the communications. I mean, Barbecue Yak was nothing more than me. And I'd pull some of my employees from other companies to come in and help when I needed it. And then i do all the communications and fulfillment in the evening. And, uh, yeah, that was the hardest time. And uh, I'm so thankful for it. It made me tougher. Uh, It gave me a resolve that I wouldn't have had. And then when he said yes, that was uh, exciting, the most fulfilling thing that's ever happened at Barbecue Act. And then fast forward, and this is why it's so exciting. Fast forward, Q4 of last year, I was so done until I had that spatula idea. Just like It was just not going well. And I'm gonna say a number and you can decide to leave this in here or take it out because I don't really care. Because um, I'm an open book and I probably shouldn't be as open as I am. But we sold $20,000 in revenue in Q4 of 2019, in Q4 of this year, we'll surpass $300,000 wow. inside the same quarter. And uh, so, whatever that, what's that exponential? Uh, that's 200 some percent growth. So Q4 okay. of last year uh, to Q4 of this year, we had over 200,000, or t- yeah, 200 percent.
1: You, can't, you can't see the you can't see the goosebumps I just got. That's yeah, awesome,
0: and it like just thinking back, like I so wanted to give up. Q4 of last year I just like I tried everything and I'm like I had capital to start this thing and it just wasn't going and it just takes a long time to convince people especially the griddle was the griddle exploded um, this year I mean and next year the our forecasting um, for this the original invention is finally where we thought it could be someday but it just took it took three years for people to believe this product for it to have enough credibility enough reviews and now it's trending and uh, you just, how do you know? How do you know when you have enough evidence? And so at the end of the day, we were building evidence of our concept. And now people believe in the evidence that it, that it is a good product, solves a problem for them personally. And uh, that's really rewarding and really exciting. But uh, that that company has the most literal blood and sweat uh, that's ever come out of my body for any startup. and uh, And obviously I want to Pay dividends out the wazoo to my investor. I want to, yeah. I want to, the guy I know doesn't care. He wants me to be happy and successful. Uh, but I will be happy and successful if I can write my investor dividends. That, that's that's the win. And we were able to do that this year. And that, that was a pretty exciting moment.
1: So touch on this real quick. And, and I'll bring this up because the guy I talked to last week is a good friend of mine. Um, his name's Ryan Stoffery, owns a company called Levrak out of uh, Nebraska. And uh, he goes home every day to a wife as well, to two twins that are three months, they're less than three months old, and he has a a three-year-old son. Uh, And one of the questions I asked him was about, like, balance, and not even necessarily that there is one, but what, you know, how do you manage that in growing a business? And so the question I'll ask you is the same. You mentioned the darkest days. You mentioned being lonely you mentioned wanting to quit. How do you, how did you manage that while also coming home? And I saw your daughter peek around the corner earlier, like, Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Cause my daughter knocked on the door right when we started too. but um, just like, how did you manage all those feelings as an entrepreneur that all entrepreneurs fight and face on that front and then have to walk through the door every day and, and be dad and be the husband and be all of that. Yeah.
0: Um, I, uh, first off, it starts with just confirming and knowing that your partner's on board with what you're doing. And uh, so I'm really fortunate that my wife 100% knew what I was stepping into each time I started a company. Um, it's been a different deal. Charlie's Appliance, for example, when I started that, it was six days a week, very full days to make that thing work for 12 months straight. Monday through Saturday, I was at that store every day I'd building systems making the concept go training people because we kind of did start from scratch and uh, when we did it i told her i'm like these retailers are gonna suck Uh, it's gonna be a hard year and was able to make sure she was on board with the concept and so same with barbecue act when i started that i knew and she knew this is this is different this is gonna be hard this is gonna be a lot of time and effort and she was on board and then number two i told haley i said i I'm going to have a complete change in work-life balance when our oldest turns six, and this is a personal conviction. I told her all my emotional memories, like my first emotional memories that I remember were when I was six years old, like as far as what I remember and connecting with my parents. I was six from my first. I had memories before that, but actually remember feeling something yeah. and a connection was when I was six years old. So I told Haley, I've got to tell Ellis is six. She turned six this year. And uh, so that timing, I made that commitment years ago and, uh, and it started, and she's when it all started, which is crazy. Uh, as far as when I left my first job, I was still doing it, but she came premature and she, she just totally rocked our world. Um, so this year I've been able to completely adjust and change. And when Brian came on, changed my role. Uh, I have really good people now. And now I'm stepping into an execution role. And and basically, I'm stepping into a role of being CEO for all my companies. Um, And so that role looks really different now. It allows me to be completely hands-off, execute, uh, maintain vision, and growth strategies, which is what I love to do. Uh, But we're coming on. uh, I'm about to hit the 10-year mark. So I will say I got to do mostly what I do every day. Like, I get to do mostly what I want to do every day now for my companies after nine years <laughs> uh, so it, does, it didn't it didn't come overnight um, and time just right because she'll turn seven and uh, in February uh, so yeah that was a personal commitment but yeah it always it all starts with your partner Are they on board this is what it's going to take you explained your situation that was real I love your story of this is the time frame and this is what it's going to take you know that you and your wife agreed on and I just think that's so powerful they decide what's important to you, and that's what was important to me. And uh, not going to stop what I'm doing. I'm not going to stop creating. Um, I have more flexibility than I've ever had, and that's scary for my wife because she knows that I'm going to be tempted. <laughs> and I and I've walked away from a few things already um, that I knew wouldn't fit my lifestyle. And so you get to a point where I think you have to choose. This isn't going to fit my lifestyle and what's important to me when I'm 60 years old someday. Um going to come and go. Uh, but I, yeah, I've only got so much time for these other things that are really important to me.
1: So, um, I think we have to do a follow-up at some point. I, you know, I, I try to keep these close, close to an hour just to, uh, I think from a listenability standpoint and, and, people sure. live standpoint. Um, and, and there's so many, I, I want to like, t- I, we could do like a series basically of like, walk me through good to be clean time. And then walk me through yeah. the the Shaw's time and walk me through the- I'll ask you one last question, um, and I think it'll make all of this come full circle. But so think about the kid that you just talked about at the start who switches to a private school and and finds himself in detention because he's not getting the grades he was told he needs to get. So so think about that kid. And then think about that same school asking you to come in and talk about what entrepreneurship is and, and what you've experienced since that day. What what do you stand in front of the classroom and tell those kids, knowing what you know now, when somebody says, "Hey, Samuel McVeigh, founder of Barbecue Hack, talk to us about entrepreneurship." What, what's your answer?
0: Man, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question, um especially not under that perspective. Whew. Uh, I spoke at Circle High School uh, right when, right month before pandemic hit, um, but yeah, I would say short and sweet if i was talking about where i came from to where i am now that uh, nothing is defined other than how you define it and so i my grandpa even at my graduation speech said hey he's like i just didn't think you were very intelligent and i wrote a really funny speech and um and it went over well and he's like i just we had lunch right after i graduated He's like i just never thought you i didn't think there's a lot going on up there to be completely honest, and I'm 18. I mean, that's a shocking statement by your grandpa that you adore that you're named after, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, so that that was a kind of an assumption for a long time. And I would say that nothing about you is defined until you decide what you're going to be, um, and that all to me happens happens after after the fact. And that all happens when you become an adult and take ownership. And so at the end of the day, if you decide to take ownership of something, it's going to come down to effort and execution. And if you don't have the ability or the the capabilities to accomplish it, it's going to come down to your execution of finding those people who have those abilities and you partner up with them because you know what you want to do. You know what needs to be done. And you find the abil- the people with the capabilities and the ability to, to execute and finish it. And I'd say the biggest differentiator uh, of most people I'm around that I feel like uh, are, have every ability to do way more than I do or have way more capability, a higher IQ, just definitely appear more intelligent. Or I play a game with someone, you know, and I'm like, wow, they're really smart. You know, just like, you know, those moments where you're like, this person is really intelligent. Um, but there's still a difference there, of uh, but I'm going to keep executing. I want to work my butt off and I'm not going to stop. And I was a scary human being playing basketball. Like it wasn't comfortable for most people playing basketball with me. It's not because I was the best. I was just a freaking animal. Um, and I, it was, it was messy and it was ugly, but I just, I, I knew what I wanted to work towards. And I knew I had to work that much harder. So your only limit is your own definition of yourself. And once you define what you want to be and what you want to do, execute it have the effort the resources exist partners exist um education materials exist and youtube is my education so (laughs) there's a lot of ways to get there
1: i think that's a pretty good answer samuel and uh i'll tell you this man it's been fun like i said the beauty of technology in our generation and and um you know connection a lot of things you've said I agree with is I didn't even know who you were six weeks ago and, and here we are so it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit and uh to spend an hour with you on a Tuesday night and, and kind of hear a little bit about your story a little further man I, I just really appreciate you uh sharing that and uh thanks for kind of shedding some light on all that and, s- and some insight I know I took something away so
0: awesome man yeah this was really fun I enjoyed it
1: good deal well hey Everybody, appreciate you looking Daniel. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll see you guys next
0: time.